Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. We'll read through 17. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesus or of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of uh, Rehoabim, and Rehoabim the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shetiel, and Shealtel was the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel was the father of Abidayud, and Abiud was the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matam, and Matam the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. A quick prayer. Father, by the power of your word, through your Holy Spirit, we pray that you will be exalted among us, that we will know more about you, become more like our, our Lord, and glorify you in our lives. Guide us and lead us in this moment. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. So today we start Matthew, and I'm very, very excited. Um, really going to look at verse 1. Uh, there is so much in verse 1, and we will touch on some of the things that we see in all of these names that I butchered. Um, but what we, have to, what we have to understand as we look at Matthew and we start this study, we're not going to be in any hurry. Um, but at the same time, we are going to use this to uh, get a greater understanding of Christ. Uh, the way you see Matthew, probably in your Bible, it says the gospel according to Matthew. Now, Matthew didn't write that originally. He did not title it the gospel according to Matthew. When, when someone would have read his manuscript, the first words they would have seen is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And over time, 
his name, you know, was would be put up there, and then they they've kind of given this title, the Gospel according to Matthew. So, before we get too far, I want to I want us to briefly understand why they gave this book the the title, the Gospel according to Matthew, because then they also did it for Mark, Luke, and John. So, what is the reason these four books? have this title, the gospel, because we know that the literal meaning of that word gospel is just simply good news. It's an it's a, it's a easy uh, definition that we can give the word gospel. And so how, does, how do we get this to have this title, the gospel according to Matthew? Well, the gospel in its simplest form, as given by Paul, says that we know that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, that he was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture. And that in its basic form is what we can call the gospel. And so Matthew has this calling to write about Jesus, to write about his life and his ministry. Well, guess what? Jesus is the basis of the gospel. And so when he writes this and people read it, they think this is the gospel according to Matthew. But what we have to understand is the gospel does not just exist in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John written. We also have to understand that the gospel existed before they even wrote it. It existed before, as we'll see at the end of chapter 1, before the birth of Jesus. The gospel has existed for all eternity. The promise of the gospel has existed since Genesis 3. And Jesus is the culmination. He is the fulfillment of the promise that is the gospel from Genesis 3 all the way to Malachi when Jesus arrives as we will see in this first chapter in the coming weeks. So we must realize these things. We must realize that the gospel, the plan of salvation, existed before the world existed. And God had promised it way before Jesus was born on the earth, and that it was all fulfilled. The plan and the promise worked out through, the, through Jesus of Nazareth, his life, his sacrificial death, resurrection, and ascension. So... Verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so as we look at this verse to unpack it, we can realize that hidden underneath the Greek is this explosion of a statement. It's not just, well, if you, it is a title for what you're about to read the genealogy of Jesus. But there are so many things packed in this one verse that will send us on our course as we go through Matthew. And for a Jew, well, so Matthew was a Jew. So, and you know, as in Sunday school, we want to know the author and the audience. Well, Matthew being a Jew, we can see as we read this gospel according to Matthew, that he was expecting that his audience would be Jewish or that they would have some sort of understanding of Jewish history. And so if 
Someone who did not have an understanding of Jewish history read the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. They have no idea what is being said. No clue whatsoever. And so the undertaking I want us to begin with this morning is that we will have a sense of what is in the background that causes Matthew to say the words he does in verse 1. To have an understanding of that. And when we do, as we spoke about in Sunday school, we'll have a better understanding of God. We'll have a better understanding of his gospel. And we'll have a better understanding of the purpose of Jesus. We'll have a better understanding as we read and study the, the gospel according to Matthew. So, he begins the book of the genealogy of. Now, again, if you are a Hebrew, this would look very familiar. These words will look very familiar. Now, hang with me for just a second on this. The Jews of the time of Jesus, they had an Old Testament that was written in Greek. It was called the Septuagint. And so they had taken the Hebrew Old Testament and they had translated it into the common Greek language of that time. The Jews of that time had done this. And so it was like their Greek, transla- or their Greek interpretation of the Old Testament. Well, Matthew, as we know, is written in Greek. And so when a Jewish person would see the book of the genealogy of in Greek, they understood that Matthew was making a reference to Genesis. Because these exact same words are written in Genesis chapter 5. The exact same words in the Greek. And he says in Genesis 5, this is the book of the generations of Adam. So you have in Genesis 5, the book of the generations of Adam. And in Matthew 1, the book of the generations or genealogy of Jesus. Exact same words in the Greek. So what, what Matthew is speaking buried down in this is that a change has happened. Something has occurred, something major and significant, because we know how the story, they know how the story of Adam takes place. That as the the generations of Adam goes, it gets pretty ugly. And we spoke about it this morning, and in Genesis 6, God tells tells us uh, that... um, Uh, Let's see. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. And we see this from the beginning. And as we look back to the beginning, we see this evil and wickedness that started with Adam and Eve and the serpent and the tree and the fruit. We also see light. This is where the promise of the gospel begins. In Genesis 3, when God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You see, Matthew is reminding us of the promise of God through Adam and Eve. That the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. See, the book of the genealogy of Adam, that didn't work out so well. But through that line, through the seed of that man and that woman, would come a new one, 
a better Adam. And Matthew is saying, he's here. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't want to get into today the, that Jesus' name has significance, because we'll get to that at the end of the chapter. At the announce, when, when uh, the angel goes to uh, Joseph, we'll see more about the name of Jesus. Uh, but then we do see that Matthew gives us his last name, thankfully, Christ. No, not really. Christ is not his proper name, which I'm pretty sure we all have an understanding, but it probably isn't that well understood outside of the walls of the church. But that Christ is a significant word here. As you think about a Hebrew who has been, who has been hearing about this Jesus, maybe he hasn't experienced him in person. Maybe it's a Jew that is far off from Jerusalem and from the land that Jesus had been. But they understand that that word Christ is a very important title. Very important title. And so for Matthew to just throw it out here in verse 1 of his book was a big deal. It was a big deal. See, this word Christ is, uh, well, let me, let me, before I do that, just to show you, so, so we know that it is a title, we can see in verse 16 of the, at the end of the genealogy, that Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Um, let's see, similar to that. Okay, it's like a son of a king being born. He gets the title prince. It's a title. It's something that is put onto the name. It's not their real name. Peter declares later, we cannot wait to get to Matthew chapter 16, that you, Jesus, are the Christ the son of the living God. Pilate yells out to the Jews in the hubbub of after the trial, what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? So this is a title that was given to him and that was known among the people. Um, so, and in Matthew, we see that word 17 times, Christ. And other than the other two synoptic gospels of Mark and Luke, it's used the most in Matthew because Matthew has a very specific point and he wants his audience to know that Jesus is the Christ. That's why he's writing, okay? We've got to keep that in mind. So what does it mean? It's simply, it's the Greek word for Messiah. Well, Messiah means anointed, to be anointed. It's actually an adjective. So... It would be like, and to be anointed means to take, literally to take oil and to smear it on someone. And so forgive me for this analogy, but I, just so we all understand why we would say it, that it's an adjective towards what has been done to him. So let's say you have toast and you have butter. What do you do? You butter your bread, right? You butter it. Okay, so when the bread has been buttered, it's now been, it's now buttered bread. Do you see that? It's taking something and it's putting it on it and it's, that, that thing now takes on that which it's taken. So Jesus has been anointed 
because that word Messiah is anointed. He has been anointed. Now he is, like bread is now buttered bread, he is now Jesus the Christ or Christ Jesus. It is who he is, not in a proper name form, but what has been done to him. He has been anointed by God and no one else. So, but here's the significant part, uh, part to it. And here's what, uh, what I just found out recently. You know, we hear the word anointed throughout all of uh, the Old Testament, and that's a common thing. But did you know that it was the prophet, the priest, and the king who were all actually anointed? And it's that same word, Messiah, in the Hebrew. So David was anointed a Messiah. He was a Messiah. Saul was anointed as a Messiah. Um, Aaron, being the first priest of Israel, was anointed as a Messiah. And so this happened throughout all the history of Israel. However, however, as we see, as we look through Jewish history, they are waiting not on a Messiah, but the Messiah. They have a Messiah for a prophet. They have a Messiah for a priest. And they have a Messiah for a king throughout all their history. But what they have been promised and what they are waiting on is the Messiah who is prophet, priest, and king. So he takes the totality of all the leadership of Israel, of all the leadership of the church, and he is chosen, selected, anointed as Christ. And Matthew says, this is him, the one you have heard of. This is the Messiah, God's anointed. Now, uh, Genesis, uh, let's see, make sure we get this. Now, let's look at this. Now, let's go back to Genesis. I want us to take a trip through Genesis. So let's turn to Genesis 5, where we've already mentioned that we see this phrase, the book of the generations or the book of the genealogy of Adam. And let's just trace what's happening. And we're actually tracing two things. The promise of God to crush the serpent in Genesis 3. But we're also going to be tracing this line from which this promise will, be, will come. And along the way, we'll see God continuing to keep his promise and continuing to reiterate it in different ways. So Genesis 5 verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam when God created man. Now, I'm not going to read all this. We've had enough reading of genealogies for the day. Uh, but look down at end of verse 32. At the end of Noah or um, Adam's genealogy, we see Noah. And we see his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, as we go through, we're going to scroll to chapter 10. But as we scroll through there, take a look at the headings of chapter 6. Increasing corruption on the earth, or whatever yours says. And we've discussed this. The wickedness of man. The flood of Noah. Noah comes and God wipes out all of mankind except for Noah and his family. All is well. Guess what? Noah gets off the boat and does what? Sins. He sins. So we're still in need of a promise. 
right? It's still, we still need it. We're still, Noah wasn't it. So then we get to 10 and we see these are the generations of the son of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then you'll notice as you read this, and probably in your title, that it talks that the, the, through these three sons of Noah, nations form. The world is populated through these three sons, and we have nations arise. But the Bible, God uh, specifically sets apart one. Look at Genesis 11, verse 10. Now hang with me here. I know we're 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 surfing, but it's it's we're gonna get to it. Genesis eleven verse ten. The nation, the son of Noah that God uh, distinguishes is Shem, not because he's something, but just because he did. These are the generations of Shem. When Shem was a hundred years old, he fathered so on. Now look in verse twenty six. When, so we're at the end of Noah's genealogy. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram. Now this is what we wanted to get to. So from Adam to Noah, or from Adam to Seth, to Noah, to Shem, to Abram. Now remember, God is using these three sons to, pro, uh, to procreate the earth, to bring about nations. But it's through Shem through Abram, that the nation is brought about, brought about, the nation of Israel, that the seed of the woman was to come through. Now let's see what is supposed to happen. Now let's look at 12, verses 1 through 3. And we have to kind of build upon God's promise here in, in a few chapters. But John 12, 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country. So he's called him. Actually, we learn in the New Testament, he's called him out of idolatry. He's brought him out of idolatry. He says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation. There it is. A great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Well, I will bless those who bless you and whoever dishonors you, I will curse you. And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay, so he's starting a nation so that through Abram, all the, nation, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, turn to chapter 15. We're going to build upon this promise, this promise that God has made to Abram. We're almost done with all this surfing. Verses 1, let's start at 1. And your, your title of your chapter may say, God's covenant with Abram. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, no seed, no children, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to them, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now last one, 22. One more build upon this promise. 
verse 15. So, God fulfilled in, in the immediate that promise to Abram, to Abraham and gave him Isaac. But listen to what he says after God had told Isaac, or, uh, Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. He, he does what the Lord says, but the Lord stops him. And he says in verse 15, The angel of the Lord called to me Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn. God swears, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Now, God is promising Abraham an offspring. And in this offspring, he is saying and promising that all, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. We are praying for the nation of Mongol. Through this offspring, the nation of Mongol will be blessed through this promise. Now, Matthew declares in this controversial first line that Jesus Christ is the son of Abraham. He is the promise that God gave to Abraham that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, Paul knows it, and he tells the Galatians that God was actually preaching the gospel in Genesis 22. Do you know that? God was preaching the gospel in Genesis 22. Paul says these very words. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, you and me, the Mongols, were Gentiles. That he would justify, save the Gentiles by faith, he preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So in Matthew 1.1, we have this highly profound statement that Jesus is this promise. This is groundbreaking at the time that this was written. We, we can just like take it because we've known it, but this was earth-shattering. This was life-changing. This statement had eternal purpose and consequences behind it. Now, to move forward, because I've spent a lot of time on Abraham, there's another son that Jesus is declared to be in this first verse. Now, it says the son of David. Now, look at verse 2 through 6. We see that we got all the way to Abraham from Adam, but what we see from verse 2 to 6 is we get from Abraham to David. The line continues. And guess what? The promise continues. The promise made to Abraham that a seed would come from the woman continues through David. Now, to get this, we have to look at 2 Samuel. And we'll read this passage to show the promise God made to David, how it sounds similar to the promise that he made as Second Samuel chapter seven. Excuse me, uh, sounds similar to the promise that he made to Abraham in the fact that it was about a son, and also 
about the fact that it was not just an immediate promise, but it was something that had everlasting consequences and implications. He says in Second Samuel 7, starting at verse 9, And I have been with you. I, I hear some more pages turning. Let me, I'll wait. Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 9. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. So God is talking through Nathan, the prophet, to David. And I will make for you a great name. Sounds like Abraham. Like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Not a nation, but a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you you shall come from the bo- or who shall come from your body and i will establish his kingdom well we find out that that actually happens through solomon but look how he continues in verse 13 he shall build a house for my name which solomon did and i will establish the throne of his kingdom forever forever I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and the stripes of the son of men. We see this with Solomon. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. What did the children cry out in the temple when Jesus entered in? Son of David. Matthew tells us that Jesus is the Son of David. That He is the Lord, the King, who will reign over the everlasting kingdom. He is the promise of God to Abraham, the promise of God to David, the promise of God to Israel, and what we would eventually find out, which was very, very obvious in the Old Testament, they just tend to miss it, it was the promise to the world. The world. All nations. The psalmist said that God, uh, God promised to David an offspring who would reign over a kingdom of God, over a kingdom God will establish forever. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of heaven. That was not about Solomon. That was about Jesus. Yes, there was immediate fulfillment to the promise of Abraham and Isaac to the promise of David and Solomon. There was immediate, uh, there was later uh, fulfillment in that to Israel. But as Paul declared in his second letter to the Corinthians, for all the promise of, uh, promises of God find their yes in him. 
in Jesus Christ. So, Matthew 1, I've got to wrap this up. We see that Jesus is the yes to the seed of the woman who will crush the serpent's head. He is the yes to the offspring of Abraham who would bless the nations of the world. He is the yes to the son of David who would reign as king over the kingdom of God. And as we make our way through the gospel account of Matthew, we'll see how this unfolds. This unfolds in the gospel of Matthew with the declaration that the kingdom is here. And the king is here. That is the message of David. But this isn't a normal king. This king dies. Well, that's not good. Now, this king dies. He suffers at the hand of his betrayer, at the hands of a corrupt trial, and he will be hung on a cross. Well, what kind of king is that? This king is the anointed. He is the Christ. He will bear the sins of a nation, He will bear the sins of the nations, taking on the curse of God so that through him, those who believe would be eternally blessed as God had promised Abraham. They would be brought into an eternal kingdom and placed under the rule of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as promised to David. So what shall we do with this this morning? Number one, believe in him. Believe in Him. He is our only hope in life and death. The darkness came, but He, the light, has overcome. And those who are found in the darkness will be cast away, will be damned and judged by the wrath of God. But thanks be to God, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we know that Christ took on the sin, the judgment for our sin. And those who believe will be brought out of darkness and into light. Trust in Christ. Repent of your sins. Now, what else shall we do with this? Three things very quickly. The character of God, the kindness of God, and our confidence in God. The character of God, the kindness of God, and our confidence in God. God shows us in Matthew 1, 1, that he is faithful. Years and years and years went by from Genesis 3 to Malachi, the end of Malachi, to when Jesus was born. God kept all of his promises because Titus, Paul says in Titus that God cannot lie. Therefore, if he says it, he does it. Because we know that in him is no darkness at all, but he is light. Matthew declares Jesus the son of Abraham and David. He's declaring that God is never changing, always faithful, and always reliable. He is a God who keeps his promises. The kindness of God. The kindness of God. Not only have years passed from Genesis 3 to the birth of Christ, an innumerable amount of sin Rebellion, wickedness, betrayal has taken place and still does today. But guess what? In God's kindness, he did not stop. He did not take back the promise. He did not say, you know what? I'm done. 
He showed kindness. And if you look that word kindness in the New Testament, it's always paired with mercy. The kindness and mercy of God. So when we see, as we're living our lives, that Matthew declares that Jesus is the promise, the fulfillment of, uh, of the son of Abraham, the son of David, that he is the Messiah, we can remember that God is a loving, gracious God. Because if he wasn't, we would not have gotten to Matthew 1.1. And you would not be alive today. Remember the character of God and who He is, that He cannot lie, and He keeps His promises. And remember that in your sin, as we fight it daily, that there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You need to remember that each day. That is your fuel, your motivation to fight sin, to put it to death, to proclaim the gospel, that you have no longer been condemned because you have been placed into Christ Jesus. Now, with the character and the kindness of God, we know the confidence that we can have in God. We know the confidence that we can have in God. That He, in a world where we could be tossed to and fro, we see in Hebrews 6 that He is the anchor of our hope. That He is steadfast. We, not so much. But He is our anchor. And so when we go tomorrow and we encounter that sin, we encounter our suffering, we encounter that shame, we encounter the struggles, we remember the character, the kindness of God, and He, He alone is our anchor to provide for us when people are dying around us. He is our hope. And what is our hope? But that we have forgiveness. That Satan has been crushed that through the son of Abraham, we have blessing for eternity. We have hope that as this world goes on, we know that it ends. But the kingdom of God through the son of David goes on and on and on. And he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That is our hope that we grab onto Remind ourselves of the character of God, the con- of the, the kindness and mercy of God. Now, I have to read this passage because this stuck out to me in Acts. Chapter 3, Peter preaches, a, I believe, his second sermon after Pentecost. Now think about what we've been saying. The character of God, the kindness of God, our sin, our hatred, our rebellion, our wickedness, yet He fulfills His promise. Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 13. I'm going to read 13 through 15, then I'm going to jump down to 25. Look, look what Peter says to the, to the Jews in his sermon. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified His servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for the murder to be granted, the murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. 
To this we are the witnesses. Did he close the book and walk away? No. Look at verse 25. Here's the character and the kindness of God. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Even though you condemned him, even though you denied him, even though you called for a murderer instead of him, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is the gospel. This is the declaration Matthew gives in chapter 1, verse 1. The character and the kindness of God that we may be confident in Him and Him alone. And there is nothing that you have done that would cause Him to turn away. His Son, His servant, has been sent to you, to me. You want application for tomorrow? Remember that tomorrow. Remember the kindness and mercy of a holy God and that he sent his son that we may have blessing in eternity. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today. Those words don't do anything, but God, we give ourselves up to you as a living sacrifice. We pray that this is Our worship, our life, our service is to give of ourselves the way you have given to us. That we will remember each day your promise, your unchanging character, your love, your justice, and our need of Christ Jesus. Let it infiltrate our lives. Lead us to godliness. Lead us to love others. Lead us to you. We ask this.